Hey, this is Last Coffee House. What's going on? We are finishing up Gulag by Anne Applebaum. It's a behemoth, so there's a lot in there, and it's really, really depressing. So, I thought in the meantime, we would just kind of talk about what's been going on in the world so we can figure out where the seams are in the way that we're discussing things. Okay, so, of course, big news last day or so was uh, Breonna Taylor. And the charges that came down, from what I understand, it was a very lesser charge. So it was something akin to reckless endangerment, as opposed to murder or something like that. So obviously it didn't matter. I mean, people would be unhappy about this anyway. And obviously the operative question is the legal factual question. It's not the moral political question that is being bandied about in the media. So the particulars of the case, I remember when I first heard about this case, when I just I just read headlines as they were coming along and I saw some of the people making posts about it. And the impression that I got explicitly from all those headlines and from what people were saying was that this was a warrant that was just served on the wrong house entirely on somebody who had nothing to do with anything, and this person was in bed and shot. Now, that was completely <laughs> very, very wrong. That was definitely the impression that was made, though. So I was like, okay, well, this one's a legitimate, illegal, completely wrong, tragic shooting. And so this is one that needs to be rectified. And obviously, as we say, it's completely an anecdote. The only thing that it's used for is fear. So assuming that this was the most horrendous and obviously racist thing that could possibly happen, then it would be an anecdote. It would be one piece of data amidst 330 million person population with 700,000 police officers and 10 million arrests every year. It would be a single anecdote. So this is the kind of thing that gets used and just blown up in the media to be used as a fear-mongering tactic. Now, obviously, we're in a, the most fraught presidential election year ever, so they are using whatever they possibly can to try to disrupt everything they possibly can and inflame everybody who is possible to be inflamed. This was the impression that I got from this case was what happened. She's just sleeping. They go to the wrong house. It's a no-knock warrant, and they just shoot her, you know, because they think somebody might have a gun. I When I got first impressions were nobody even shot at them or anything like that. Now, when the facts come out, of course, then it turns out that it was a warrant that was properly followed. Now, I've seen some conflicting reporting on this, whether it was a no-knock warrant or not. The assertion, apparently there are some neighbors and the police themselves who say they did knock, and most recent reporting says that it was not a no-knock warrant. It was actually, you know, a warrant they had to knock for but they did knock regardless once they get in there it was her either boyfriend or ex-boyfriend in the hallway not in the bedroom who shot at the police officers now if he didn't hear the police if he didn't hear the announcement of where the police or something like that if he's a drug dealer engaged in drug dealing and i've seen conflicting reports on this too that there was a boyfriend there might have been a boyfriend that was directly involved in drug dealing and then a boyfriend who was ancillarily involved or not involved in drug dealing and i'm not sure which one was placed where but even Either way, whoever was there shot at the police. That's not disputed. And they were in the hallway, and she was standing apparently behind him, and he was the one shooting at the police, and she gets caught in the crossfire. Now, uh, undisputed reporting, as far as I am aware, is that she was... Many things of hers were directly involved in either the laundering or drug dealing in general. 
So the significance of that is, of course, to say that the warrant was correct. It wasn't the wrong house. She was named in the warrant. The warrant was that address. And the point was to go there to try to find what was going on with this drug dealing <laughs> conspiracy <laughs> that they were undertaking. So even with the, the best possible reading of the facts on behalf of the victim, then you would say that this is a tragedy, obviously. Whatever charges she might have received for being engaged in this drug dealing, aiding and abetting drug dealing or whatever, would not have been in death, she would not have received that. So at the best possible reading is that it was a tragedy. So, of course, uh, there's freaking out. There were police shot last night. I'm not sure what the status of the police officers are. I was, I was trying to look for that, but I didn't see it. I know some police officers were shot in Louisville last night in retaliation, presumably, for them not bringing charges. Because they only brought charges against the one officer that apparently hit Breonna Taylor and not the other officers that were involved. And it was not for murder or any kind of a homicide. So there's a lot of dissatisfaction. Of course, uh, most of the dissatisfaction would be amongst people who didn't have anything to do with the case, knew nothing of the facts of the case except for a couple of headlines and wanted any reason to get out into the streets now that's the thing because yeah people talk about riots and they talk about um looting and they talk about how those things are bad even though you know obviously a lot of people haven't been talking about how those things are bad a lot of them have been providing cover and not prosecuting people who have been rioting and looting but even if you take those things away protesters themselves anybody who's protesting related to police violence at this point just doesn't know the facts of police violence doesn't know the facts of police brutality and has no interest in the statistics around any of these things there is no even fractional way to say that it's necessary there's some kind of even vague approaching epidemic of police brutality in this country it, it's absolutely ludicrous to try to pretend that that's the case so anybody i don't if you're a 100 peaceful protester you didn't you know block any traffic you didn't toss over tables while people were trying to eat dinner. You didn't do any of that stuff. You're just 100% peaceful. You just hold your sign. You're just trying to stand up for a cause. You're exhibiting your right, your fundamental right, obviously, in the United States, which hopefully we still have those things going forward. But you are completely oblivious and just buying into the fear-mongering and perpetuating the fear-mongering narrative that doesn't make any factual or statistical sense. So, so there's that. But anyway, obviously, when it comes to the actual case, the question is legal and factual. It's not moral and political. And the fact that it's being used that way, it's being used by people who are trying to gain power in some other way. It's it's not really about, okay, was this an injustice? What needs to be done? Who needs to be punished? It's not really about that. It's being used for something else. And it's being used by a bunch of really pathetic and uh, terrible individuals who use it as a reason to be able to go out and commit violence and, and pretend that they have some kind of meaning now. One other thing that's been kind of a persistent issue is this whole idea of censoring speech on uh, social media platforms, uh, especially in an election year and when we use terms like misinformation and hate speech. I mean, I think these terms are so obviously akin to, you know, newspeak and they're the things that sound like, uh, oh yeah, we can figure out what that is and just, and it's better to get rid of those, uh, when in reality you can't at all. That's not something that people are capable of doing in a non-biased way. And especially in an election year, this is something that is used to push particular narratives for, on particular factual issues. And I I think it's probably the scariest thing about 2020. <laughs> it's the most hideous, terrifying year of all time, but it's the scariest thing about 2020 is how the media's, the media, mainstream media for one, but also tech companies are complicit in trying to force narratives down people's throats. 
they are trying to massage information everywhere that they can. No matter what it is, they're trying to massage it and say, okay, well, you need to be thinking this way. You know, I know you want to look into this, but you need to be thinking this way. That's uh, really concerning. Uh, it's a really concerning trend, and they're just being encouraged by mainstream media and supported by mainstream media and a bunch of politicians and celebrities and all this. They're just loving to say things like, no, well, we can't allow hate speech and we can't allow misinformation without realizing how incredibly broad those categories can be. And of course, they're fine with it as long as it supports their narrative, which at this point it's going to because the tech companies are almost exclusively on the left. But it's such a bad idea to give any organization, whether it's the government or tech companies who have so much control over what we see and hear, it's such a bad idea to give them that much power. And I just remember on YouTube, there are just countless conservative commentators that are just gone now. You know, they're on different platforms, but when I go to those platforms, it's just, it's more difficult. It takes more effort to go to those and watch them, you know, in a different format and watch them in a different way and not have the same engagement that you had on, on something like YouTube where it would just pop up and you'd get to watch it and you talk to a whole bunch of people about it. And it's really disconcerting. It's really concerning for this kind of a thing to be happening. But I think it's one of the worst developments of 20 is just having tech companies be willing to massage information, try to force you into a narrative, into accepting a particular narrative on every story that comes out, you know, no matter what it is. They want to emphasize particular, you know, mainstream media narratives and then de-emphasize particular narratives that go against that. You know, and, and you have no idea how many background things are going on that are going against this. And obviously we have a whole bunch of whistleblowers that came out from Facebook who talked to, and Google who talked about how there's all this background shadow banning and how they're being people with certain ideas are pushed to the side and we have outright bans of videos like the objective video of Kyle Rittenhouse and how he was going to try to get the police after the initial shooting and all that stuff so it's just it's really it's really concerning I don't know how you fight this stuff anymore because I've always been somebody who thought that the truth is always going to win out it's going to win out at some point you know once everything gets out there even though there are some emotional people and some idiots and, and all that kind of thing once it shakes out when it's it's open it's gonna get out there and it's going to win the day eventually <laughs> but when you have people in collusion all the tech companies and democratic politicians and celebrities you know other media you know like hollywood media and movies and all this stuff when you have them in collusion to just spread particular ideas i just saw that there's this round table of disney writers that were just talking about these political motivations for making their particular films and writing in particular ways i'm just like what are you doing what is going on that's not what film is that's not what hollywood's supposed to be that's not how you're supposed to make a project like this. Like, there are particular parts that you're supposed to put together to make something great that's entertaining. You're not supposed to be indoctrinating people with your particular brand of politics. This is insanity. It's one of the worst developments of 2020. And more and more now, we're seeing... I just saw the CDC released new numbers when it came to death rate in the... I think it was in the United States specifically. Yeah, it must have, it's CDC. It must have been. We shut down the whole world for this thing. <laughs> We shut the whole world down. And the death rates for like 0 to 19 or something like that were, it was 99.997% survive. 
from 20 to 35 or something like that. It was 99.98% or something. And it got the worst over 75. And this was just quietly released. And of course, mainstream media isn't going to talk about this, but it was just quietly released. And people over 75, you know, the aged, it was something like 94 point something percent survival rate. So what are we, what are we really talking about? I mean, I know the, the average age at one point of death from coronavirus, 75 or 80. The only, it's only 6% of people who die from coronavirus only have coronavirus. 6%. 94% of those people. So that's of the 0.001% of whatever who are dying. 94% of those have underlying conditions and it's multiple underlying conditions. The average number of underlying conditions was 26 so you can round up to three underlying conditions for people who die of coronavirus. And at that point, you can't say they die of coronavirus. You have no idea. You don't know what the mix is. This is actually doing, doing the killing. So... I mean, these are just CDC numbers. You know, I was really concerned about this. I was extremely careful at the beginning. And I thought you might as well just err on the side of caution, obviously. And I wear a mask everywhere I go, all that stuff. But there has to be honesty about this stuff. I mean, it's just, it happens to be in a presidential election year, the most fraught presidential election year in history. And it happens to be that this thing is just a, a crazy killer coming through that came out of China. And you've got, uh, again, you've got that one scientist who made it out of China who's saying that this was something that was manufactured, it was done on purpose, and the Chinese withholding a whole bunch of information about it, and uh, there's so much. So anyway, there are a lot of things, a lot of things going on. I really think the biggest failure right now is coming out of elite liberals. At some point, they were supposed to be the people who were trying to be the most reasonable about all the things that are coming out, you know, and saying that, okay, here's reality, but we should really focus on trying to take care of these people or those people or people who are being left behind by the economy. Yay capitalism, protect human rights, and then after those things are done, let's try to help some people out. And that was what elite liberals were stood for. And and now they are just completely irrationally, I want to say insane, <laughs> but uh, I think it's more of an emotional fit that they're going through. They don't see themselves in the president currently, so therefore they're going to resist no matter what it takes and on what terms, it doesn't matter. But even very educated people, we read, what was it? Not The Righteous Mind, but his other book, The Coddling of the American Mind. That's right. And you still saw goofy, fear-mongering nonsense in that kind of a book from a very educated elite liberal. And you still have this widespread just assertion that there's some kind of grand injustice going on in the United States while people are being hauled off into camps in China. It's, oh my god, I don't know. This seems really, really ridiculous to me. And we don't have any shared commitment to standards anymore. I think that's the biggest thing. There's no shared commitment to say that, okay, no matter what else is going on, we all agree that evidence and argument is number one and we have to support whatever propositions we're trying to put forth. You know, that's something we all have agreed on for a long time, and, and even if some people didn't do it very well, no, we have to show evidence. But even nowadays, every time there's a there's a shooting, it's like there's no need for evidence of racial animus anymore. It's just automatic. We, we automatically assume. I mean, every shooting for the last while now, and every situation, police brutality situation that I've seen, has had a tremendous amount of ambiguity, or it's been clearly on the side of, that was a justified shooting. 
And yet we don't even get past that step to ask, okay, is it actually racial animus that was the motivating factor here? Or was it something else entirely, like incompetence or just the person being a general dick? We don't even get to that step anymore. <laughs> we don't even think about that step. And it's not just all the idiots on Twitter or, who, or wherever. It's the media themselves don't care about that step. Don't even ask about it. They just start, I see it every time there's, you know, there was a shooting, like when there was Rayshard Brooks or they just start, and I'll see them pop up the headlines about this race story that race story some random woman in some random place used the n-word one time and they just go with this narrative because they're trying to create they're trying to force you to think in a particular way it's so disconcerting it's so bad and you know at least uh, some people are pushing back sam harris just had uh what's his name is it mccorder or what's his name i don't know i saw him on the on blogging heads tv and he pushes back against a lot of this narrative he's a liberal very liberal but he pushes it back against a lot of this narrative and sam of course pushes back against the police brutality narrative because sam when the chips are down you know he might have some severe tds but when the chips are down he will try to ally himself with reality but still, so much of the narrative out there is just choking down every ounce of all of these narratives without thinking about it or even considering whether you should have to think critically about any of this stuff. Ugh, it's, it's so bad. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So I wanted, to, I wanted to have a chat a little bit to have something kind of a little nicer than what I have been doing because I've been reading about gulags and seeing what's going on in the news. So I thought something nice and then I do this depressive marathon. So sorry about that. I did watch, what's his name's, Charlie Kaufman's new movie on Netflix. Oh, that was depressing too. Jesus. But it was an actual film, you know, trying to do actual film type things. So, <laughs> so that was really nice. Instead of what I hear about Mulan, I'm not, I'm not going to see it. I'm just not going to watch it. You know, I've heard what the plot is. I've heard that what they did with it. And it's not a creative work of art. It's not what it is. You know, we thought the commercialization of filmmaking was a problem historically when they started putting Coke and Pepsi into movies. Or here's my Sony Vio. My Sony Vio is so awesome for me stopping this robot army kind of a thing. But it's so much worse now <laughs> because it's infected the writer's room. Instead of it just coming out at the back end when you're filming the thing, it's infected the writer's room. So from the jump, what they're trying to do is insert a bunch of politics and then they try to attach... <laughs> hang off of it some kind of a plot and character oh it's so ridiculous and oscars uh, the oscars just announced what a week ago a couple of weeks ago that they were going to have all these diversity requirements for a film to w win an oscar go to hell i mean go right to hell on that one anyway i've been talking for for long enough i did really like i liked a lot of things about charlie kaufman's new movie but it's not for anybody to just easily digest and that's one thing about netflix is that if you have netflix you know you could just browse a whole bunch of stuff and pick whatever you didn't act seek out to see this kind of a movie in theaters you would have to go there to see it <laughs> you'd have to know what you're getting into and be a charlie kaufman kind of a fan but on netflix you just browse you're like oh that cover looks all right so you click on that one you have no idea what it's about and then you end up watching something that you thought was like a comedy and it turns out to be what the hell is this deep philosophical meditation on death <laughs> So, yeah, it's a different kind of a situation. Anyway, this is The Last Coffee House. I uh, just wanted to get a chat in. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you on the next one. All right, bye. <laughs>